Specialty Story Session Number 127. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm excited to bring you another amazing physician to talk about her specialty. Now, in this episode, you'll hear a little background noise. And as our guest explains, she lost her childcare at the last minute and had to go drive and pick up her son. And we still did the interview anyway. And it sounds great. There's some some turn signals here and there, but otherwise an amazing interview that I know will provide a ton of value from an amazing physician, Dr. Christy Borowski, a urologist who specializes in reconstructive urology, neurology, and urodynamics. We start the conversation by finding out how Dr. Broski first became interested in urology. I was fairly late to the game, so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do by the end of my fourth, by the end, pardon me, by the end of my third year. I thought maybe OB, I thought maybe urogyne, maybe urology. So I ended up doing, um, we call them selectives. I ended up doing selectives in each the beginning of my fourth year and chose urology. Um, so I, w- I was pretty late to the game. I not like some of the students now that feel like have it selected before they even started medical school. Yeah. Um, and so I was only a couple months before the whole interview process started. I solidified what I wanted to do. How much do you think that hurt you in the process? Obviously you ended up here, but how much do you think yeah. it hurt potentially? I don't, you know, I don't, think it did. Um, it never really came up on the interview trail. Um, I feel like the, 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 the degree of applications is, is a heck of a lot stronger now. I think it's a very common theme amongst some of my partners of, thank God we're not applying now. <laughs> it's so um, common. I would never get into med school now. I have never, never yet. Now. Um, no, no it, I mean, the, the, the big thing that I was lacking was urologic specific research, although yeah. I had done some HIV research when I traveled internationally. So I think it was something. And I think now being one of the people that, that reviews all the applications is just trying to see that you put effort into something. It doesn't necessarily have to be yeah. urologic and you know specific. So I don't know that it hurt too much. I think I maybe got asked a few times, you know, when did you, when did you come into the game? And I think it was just being able to have an articulate answer about why I, why I went the route I did and what led me to the decision. I think may have actually led a little bit more credence to my choice than, well, I've just always known I wanted to do this. Yeah. Um, kind of, you know, having that stepwise process of why I chose it. How much of that delay potentially do you think was, is the fact that as, a female in a very, very male-dominated field that maybe that was put to the back burner? I, I don't think it was that w- with me personally. I mm-hmm. think maybe it was more of that with some of my family members and friends kind of questioning why in the world would you want to do this? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I had no idea what a urologist was. You know, no one in my family was in medicine. So I came into medical school completely naive and green. Um, and so I, I just so happened to, to lock up ending on a urology elective or else I would have probably still have never known what exactly it was. Yeah. So it, it wasn't so much that, um, when I was in urology, 
as opposed to some of the other perhaps male dominated fields, I did not feel that during my urology rotation as I did maybe during ortho or during neurosurgery where I definitely, and in fact, sometimes truthfully was patted on the head and said, oh, well, aren't you cute? Um, I never had that experience during my urology time. And, and, I'll, and maybe that pushed me a little bit more towards the field, mm. but I, I never really felt anything detracting from it. What do you think led to, as you were going through this process, led to that uh, kind of desire to be a urologist? Um, shockingly, I liked surgery. I never thought I would. Um, I, I didn't think that that was going to be where my mindset was, but ended up really liking surgery, um, but didn't like the general surgery clinic that I had been in. I didn't like that, you know, I'll see you fix something, see you back once, never see you again. And so I really liked the relationship that I saw with, with the urology faculty and their patients it was um, very humorful. I think you have to have a sense of humor and be able to have very blunt, sometimes comical conversations with your patients about things. And I just really liked the rapport that I saw that I saw build there. And I, and I the the surgical breath was huge. I think much more so than I saw in some of the other fields that I was thinking about, where the just in in, in one day the degree of difference in procedures that you can see was was astronomical. So I think that's really what led me to it. I think the other was, was just the, the lifestyle, seeing what, what the surgeon's lifestyle was. I think I spent a lot of time on my rotations, not asking people, you know, what was your day-to-day life like in, at work, but what was your day-to-day life like out of work? You know, mm-hmm. how did that look for you? What was your life like, um, not just in the hospital? And urology just seemed to be the kind of the best mix of all of that. Yeah. Usually a question I ask a little bit later in the interview, but I'll, I'll ask it now because of what you just mentioned and what you're doing right this minute, right, is, is the question right. of, do you think you have enough time and uh, for life outside of the hospital? And as as we're recording this, we can hear turn signals. You're on your way to, yes. to pick up your child. And so yes. things happen. Life, life happens. You know, I found out during my last procedure of the day that my child care fell through. And so here I am leaving to go pick up my child. You know, my husband's an emergency room doctor. He cannot <laughs> leave nope. um, to, to go and pick him up. So, you know, I mean, full disclosure, I, I miss a lot of things that I wish I didn't miss. You know, I'm, I'm not at a lot of my kids' things, but on the, on the flip side of it, I'm at a whole lot of them. And, you know, I mean, I, I make a lot of things that I didn't think I would. Um, I think it's, it's really a matter of what are you going to deem as your necessities. And I think it's going in kind of setting your priorities and then not allowing people to talk you out of those priorities. I think that you can definitely have a life outside of here. I'm a triathlete. I do Ironmans. I have, you know, lots of, of things that I like to do outside of the hospital and, and I have the time to do so. I mean, sometimes it involves waking up at three in the morning to work out. So it's, it's not, you know, this nice, easy life, but you, you, you make, you make your opportunities and you, you keep your priorities and then you just stick to them. Intentionality is, is huge that a lot of people miss. Yep. Yeah. And then it's, 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 it's giving yourself also permission to put your family first and to put you first sometimes that you matter just as much as those that you're taking care of. And then if you're not taking care of you, you're not going to do a good job taking care of them. And I'm 10 years out and I'm just starting to learn this lesson. Uh, So it it takes a while and you, I think it's very, very easy to get sucked into the, 
I have to be there all the time or else something bad's going to happen. No one else can do it. Like I can do it, blah, blah, blah. And it's very easy to fall down that rabbit hole. I think no matter what career you go into, um, I think just sometimes as a surgeon's mentality, it, it, you may fall into that hole a lot easier. Yeah. As a urologist, what sorts of patients and pathologies, diseases are you treating? Um, I'm in a subspecialty area of urology. So I deal with incontinence and neurourology mainly, and then also some reconstructive urology. So my, uh, my typical patient population are going to be spinal cord injured patients, Parkinson's patients, and I really specialize in male incontinence. So, um, artificial sphincters, Botox, meds, interstims, et cetera. Those are kind of my bread and butter people. So I am not an oncologist. I don't really treat bladder cancer. Thank God I don't treat prostate cancer anymore or or anything else. I am very much a quality of life urologist, but uh, I love that part of it. I love the, the fact that, you know, out of any of the other, I think, fields in urology, because of what I do, I do get those really good long-term relationships with my patients, especially some of my spinal cord patients um, that, you know, I've known them for 10 years and I'm going to know them for the next 10 years. And um, it's, it's really makes it enjoyable most of the time. For the kinds of patients that you see, are, are you doing much diagnosing of pathologies uh, or are they coming to you with, with specific symptoms and you're there to, to treat? Well, I mean, I think that's an interesting wording of it. Um, you know, I certainly get a lot of patients from other urologists where they they are coming in with their provisional diagnoses. They've tried a whole bunch of different treatments and aren't working, and now they're coming to me. Um, but I definitely see a whole bunch of folks from primary care just, hey, this patient has this, we're not sure. And so, you know, you, you talk to them, you see them, you make your diagnosis, you, you carry and treat it through. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's different in, in my aspect of urology than, let's say, you know, the cancer world where, you know, they're coming to you with a mass, you biopsy it, you find out what it is, you take it out, you tell them what it is. Um, that, that's not the world I live in with my patients. And so it's much more kind of a constant evolution of what the diagnosis is. Yeah. What does call look like for you? Uh, call is not bad at all. Um, I, being in an academic group, I have a lot of partners. So I have, depending, about four to five weeks of call per year. We take call a week at a time. Um, that week can be miserable. But it's, it's even, even your most miserable week is still not bad. You yeah. know, I'm home more nights than I'm in. Uh, I maybe in a week will get called in overnight twice. That's not bad at all. Um, and so it's really not, it's, it's not bad. We have our few emergencies and, and they happen, but it's definitely not what I see some of my friends in general surgery, you know, what their call is. So it's, it's, it's not bad. Now I also have being in academics, I have a buffer. I have two layers of residents underneath that are getting some of those, you know, the patient phone calls, having to put a catheter in, in the middle of the night. So there definitely is a buffer that I see that someone in private practice wouldn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't get paid for taking call, which a lot of folks in private practice get paid, um, to take call. Mine is just kind of part of my job. Yeah. What was your decision algorithm for being in academic medicine instead of going out into the community? Um, I saw what my fellowship mentors practice had was and understanding that that's the kind of practice that I want and knowing that that's not a practice that would be supported or feasible 
really in a private practice world unless you were in one of those huge super groups that just didn't exist where I wanted to live. So I think in order to see the patients that I want to see um, and in order to do and to practice the way I envision wanting to practice, it just wasn't supported in a private practice framework. Mm. What does the training path look like to become a urologist? Uh, it depends. So there's five or six year residencies. Um, I chose, I did a six year residency. Most are now five. Um, and so then it's in, once you're done there, you're, you're done, you can go out, you then have to take your boards, you sit for your, um, written boards after your, after you graduate residency, and then you sit for your oral boards after you've been out in practice for 18 months. Um, I chose to do a fellowship. So I did my six years of residency and then I did a year fellowship afterwards. Um, so didn't take my boards for quite some time after finishing residency. Uh, and I think everyone's different, you know, being um, here each year, our, our graduating residents, it's, it's kind of a good mix of whom goes into private versus academics. And the fellowships off of residency usually range anywhere from one to three years, uh, mainly one to two kind of depending on on what field you're going into. For you picking your fellowship, you talked about it a little bit earlier in terms of just the the, the patients and that long-term care. Was there mm -hmm. something else potentially that kind of led you to decide on doing a fellowship and doing the specific one that you did? Um, honestly, I think a lot of it had to do with my mentor specifically. Mm -hmm. um, I have never met a better surgeon um, I have never met a more knowledgeable individual than than my mentor. And so I think I was just naturally drawn to what he does because I just was in awe of him. Um, but I chose to spend, we had a separate dedicated lab year and I chose to spend it with him kind of seeing what he does to see if that would have any interest to me. And it did. I really just, I really enjoyed the quality of life aspect and, and making that improvement in these folks' quality of life. More so than, you know, a, a cosmetic or cosmesis procedure, but, but truly impacting how these folks are. Um, I like the clinic. I like the patients that he saw. I like the conversations he got to have with patients. Um, and so that, that's really what, what led me to it. How competitive is it to match into urology? It's quite competitive. It's, a, it's an early match um, program. You know, I can't give you the specifics. It's usually... Gosh, I want to say like a 68 to 70 something percent match rate. So it's, it's, there are many that go unmatched. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's an easy, it's an easy thing to get into. Um, having been somebody that reads the applications, you know, we want that well-rounded individual board scores are important, but are not the end of the world. Uh, it's really, you know, when I'm reading these, I really kind of want to look more at who are you as a person? What do you do outside of here? What extra work and effort have you put in during your training? It's, it's not just about what grades you got. It's about, you know, what can you bring to the program in, in totality? Yeah. Okay. What opportunities are there to subspecialize in urology? There's a, there's a bunch, um, you know, obviously mainly in private, it's, it's general and there's a lot of different options off of there in terms of subspecialties. There's oncology. Within oncology, we have folks that will specialize in, in bladder cancer, prostate cancer, kidney cancer, et cetera. Um, there's female. So there's female urology. Uh, there's incontinence. There's reconstructive urology. There's infertility. There's endourology and robotics, which are stones. 
um, pediatric urology. Um, sure, I'm missing some in in there, but there are a multitude of different options. And then with, within each of those, there's there's the ability again to subspecialize further within those fields. Yeah, for the the osteopathic medical student listening to this mm-hmm. who's interested in urology, mm-hmm. what do they need to do to potentially overcome any negative bias? Um, one of our partners now, Mark Burelin, is an osteopathic grad, and he can take care of any one of my family members any day of the week and twice on Sunday. I think it's really just doing the same thing that I would have any of the traditional MD students do. It's getting the exposure, showing your interest, getting some research in. doesn't have to be urologic specific, but getting some, some, some research in. Um, I think really that was it. It came up, I remember when we were talking about interviewing for a minute second, and and then that was it. It was done. It it didn't become more of an issue after that. So I think it's it's really just, again, trying to show who you are, that you're going to be aggressive, you're going to get out there, you're going to do things. And that's, that's pretty much it. For the future primary care physician out there, what do you wish Mm -hmm. they knew about urology and what you're doing day in and day out? Uh, for me, I wish that they knew that more people want to talk about leaking. Um, I take care, take care of a bunch of incontinent patients. I would also like them to know that it's okay to start a bunch of medicines. It's okay to try to treat this, that, that you don't always have to refer out um, for every little thing. I think on the flip side of it, though, is as demands increase in primary care, it's getting harder and harder and harder for them to address kind of each of these issues as they arise in, in their patients a lot of time. So I understand the need for referrals. I guess from my standpoint, it would just be being more comfortable and more aggressive in starting the conversation. And I think all too often people think that it's just a natural part of aging, that they're having some of these symptoms and it's something that they just have to deal with as getting older. And it's just understanding that that's not the case and that there are things that we can do. We just have to know that that's happening to them. What would you go back and tell your earlier pre-residency self about urology? I think to just probably enjoy the ride a little bit more. Um, When you look back on residency, it's really an awesome time. Um, And I didn't appreciate that as much as I should have going through it. Um, I think that in hindsight, having... uh, worked harder to enjoy those times, work harder to enjoy your co-residents and that camaraderie that's there. Cause there's truly nothing else like it. You know, there's truly nothing else like the camaraderie amongst your residents. And I wish I would have done a better job, um, kind of exploring that and not being so much sometimes so focused on your job as a resident, but more on the experience of, of, of being a resident. For the women out there interested in surgical fields, mm-hmm. any specific advice to them to help them navigate this process potentially in, in maybe they're at a program that, that doesn't support them as they should? So I think that first is to call it. You know, if there are programs that aren't supportive of females, that's, that's ridiculous in this day and age. And it's to call a spade a spade. Um, there are also now very good networks that are out, social media, et cetera, that, you know, have very good support for women in these fields. Um, I think it's important to find a mentor, whether it's in your field or not, um, to kind of help navigate through that area. But I think it's also important for us to stop us, meaning women, to stop looking at ourselves as, oh, I'm a female trying to go into this field. 
as opposed to, hey, I'm a damn good applicant looking to go into this field and mm. stop kind of that that mental negative thought of, am I at a disadvantage because of my gender? And instead projecting that, nope, I am I am here and I am on par with everybody else. It doesn't matter what my gender is. Because yeah. that's how it should be. And yeah. I think it's just a matter of, of kind of projecting that. But having someone that that has your back, and if you're at a program where you don't have that, then it's going to your dean's office, going to the folks, maybe to some of the faculty that are in your specialty or not, and seeking and finding some female mentor because they're out there. It just may not be in your in that specific field, but they're out there. And then there's enough networks that they can get you in touch with someone in your field who is to be able to support you. Yeah, love it. What do you like the most about being a urologist? Uh, just the amazingly fun stories that you'll get. Um, <laughs> people tell you some just really interesting things sometimes. And, and uh, it, it, you just have to really sit back and laugh occasionally at, at what you do and, and what people allow you to do to their bodies. And it's, it's just, I, don't, I haven't found another job where you can just just laugh as much sometimes about what your day-to-day life is. Um, and I think that, that's what I like about it. I like, and I think I've been blessed at having phenomenal partners and phenomenal folks that I work with that I think as a whole, we're a pretty laid back group of people who have a sense of humor and don't take themselves too seriously. Uh, and I think that just makes day-to-day life and work a whole lot more enjoyable. Yeah. What do you like the least? Um, uh, sometimes some of the, uh, uh, sexual innuendos, I think, especially from some, some of the older patients, some of the older guys that still haven't gotten up with the times. Um, so <laughs> they're not woke yet. They're, they're <laughs> they, they need, they need some explaining. Um, <laughs> so, uh, sometimes that gets old. Yeah. Um, but, but even kind of, you know, the, the longer I've been doing this, it's happening less and less. And I think I'm also better at just cutting it off yeah. and just saying, Nope, not going to, not going to go there, sir. Not you know, literally gonna, cutting it off. No, well, sometimes <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, but no, I think that it's just a matter of being more comfortable being able to say, yeah, that's, that's not okay. We're going to move yeah. on. And also being more, um, comfortable if there is a situation that I don't feel comfortable um, that, that transitioning the care of that patient to somebody else, um, or going to the hospital saying, I, I need to excuse this person from our practice. It's just being, taking more ownership of that. Yeah. What's the biggest misconception or myth that medical students have about urology? Um, at, at our hospital, it was that you have to take a year off to do research. Um, totally not true. Not at all. Um, I think the other biggest misconception is that we only treat men. Um, you know, 50% of our patients are, or close to that are, are women for my personal practice. It's, it's that also. And so it's not just men talking about their penises and prostate cancer, that there's a whole lot of other aspects of urology that are out there, um, that, uh, are pretty awesome. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a urologist? If I had to do medicine all over again, I think I would still be a urologist. Ooh, interesting yeah. way to frame yeah. that one. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Any last words of wisdom for the pre-med or medical student listening to this who you've now piqued their interest about urology? I think the big thing that I would like students to do is, is you know, when I have, I, I have all of our 
third year med students, I, I take care of them when they're on our service. And one of the first questions I ask them is, do you have any idea what you want to do? And I love it when the student says, nope, have no clue. Um, that I wish, I wish more students came into this wide open and not necessarily pigeonholed down one pathway because I think they really can miss out on some amazing opportunities that are out there in fields that they may not be exposed or experienced with. So just kind of coming in open, getting out there, going, shadowing other things, not just waiting for your rotations to pop up, but going on random days and, and reaching out to different specialties and just seeing what they do. And then when they're there, spend the time. You know, like I try to take the students that rotate with me. I've got some high schoolers and some college kids that come with me and usually try to sit down over a cup of coffee and just go over like, hey, you've seen now my office life. Let's talk about what my home life looks like and day-to-day life. Because that's a huge part of it too. And it's not just kind of exploring what, you know, what cool surgeries do you get to do or what's your, what do you get to see in the office? But how is my family doing? How is that working in? And, and am I happy in that balance? All right. There you have it. Hopefully that provided a ton of insight into urology. The, one of the last questions I asked about myths and misconceptions is that urology, they're all male patients. And I think a lot of people have that misconception. And obviously at one point I thought that too. And then I started doing this podcast. I'm like, oh, <laughs> urologists treat a lot more than men. And obviously women have urethras and have urinary systems just like men do. So obviously urologists are in there treating women as well. So we need more women in urology because there are lots of women patients and we need women treating women and women treating men and just amazing more women in urology all around. So uh, with the the recent data from the AAMC showing that the majority of medical students who have applied and who have gotten in are women, hopefully that will open up the door for more female urologists. And hopefully this was helpful too to have Dr. Broski share her thoughts and recommendations on how you can navigate the system as a female if you are not getting the support that you need. I hope this was helpful. Please, please, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, faculty, your medical school, whoever you want to share with, go share it. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.